1: If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbut and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash HB. Again, altitude-re.com slash HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks.
0: Hey, all Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend, Blake Johnson of manifestfit.com. click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life.
1: on twitter and i'm joined as always by evan hill at evan hill sea how you doing evan good to be back how are you i'm good i'm good we have a lot to catch up on man um evan and i were you know there was a lot of of, of uh, heated exchanges during the game and and we're gonna have to like dissect a little bit of that and uh and we've already made up, you know, we're 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 bros like that. But uh got some stuff to talk about. Uh we also have like quaffed Nathan Ernst, uh like really looking sharp today. Evan and I both noticed um at Nathan Eleven. <laughs> uh people that only listen to this podcast they miss out on so watch much watch the video, they really are missing out on uh the high quality visual effects that we we offer nathan how you doing man pretty good pretty good good, good. um and welcome welcome to everyone that's joining the show it's always good we've got an increasing crew joining Wow, pretty exciting we actually passed the three thousand youtube subscriber threshold this uh week got um over a hundred patrons you know we're charging our way towards 200 patrons very cool um and we've had i think over a hundred thousand people watched the show over the past month and listened to this show. So, I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. We've had a lot of success. Uh, folks are excited about the Seahawks, excited to hear, um, uh, any conversation, obviously if they listen to us, they'll listen to just about anything. So, uh, it, it's good to have folks here and we're getting some regulars in the chat. It's always good to check in with folks. Uh, I see Ryan Cleveland, uh, you know, uh, Alana, I'm assuming it's Alana, it might be Elena. She's already got her all caps on and she's she's going at it. So it's great. It's great. It's a lot of fun. If you haven't already joined at patreon.com, please do. Patreon.com slash It's real quick. You can sign up just as a patron to support the show, support the site, support what we're trying to do. Um, as you know, we donate to charity every year. We are committed to donating at least $10,000 a year to charity. Um, and ideally, I wanna make that $20,000 a year. That's a roughly what we've been doing lately. Um, and then we also wanna use some of the additional funds to help support the show, make the show better, grow it and uh, make it a better experience for you guys. Maybe figure out how to help Nathan and, and Evan get appropriate green screening technology um, on their laptops, that that might be possible. Um, additionally, uh, I, I would offer if If you haven't already subscribed to YouTube, please do that. If you haven't subscribed on Spotify or iTunes or or Google Play, super easy to do. Leave us a review. We really appreciate that. And, you know, just talk to people about the show. We are working on trying to get some swag. Uh, I I personally, I'd like to have like either... uh, a a magnet for my car, a sticker maybe, talking about, um, wouldn't mind like a hydro flask, you know. uh, There's a few things that would be pretty cool to have. Um, And so we're pushing Will from Rain City Series to help us out with that. So uh, we're looking to get some swag soon.
0: I would love an Establish the Body Blows t-shirt with the Hawk Blogger logo on the bottom middle.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you you would rock that. And, and there'd be all sorts of irony uh, thick with, uh, I, I think you may, you may end up like finding out that it's going to be one of those shirts that um, in the sun, it, it the that Pete Carroll's face comes out on your back and you won't know about it. And uh, uh, we'll figure out how to make that happen.
2: That would actually be amazing. So we have an update on Jeff. I don't know if you guys saw. He, he's driving back from his baseball championship game, which went extra innings. Didn't say if he won or not though, so I'm guessing maybe not great news on that. So he plays a lot of uh, baseball slash softball. Like I, he might be on the wrong podcast.
1: Like there's a, I mean, he's a Blue Jays fan, but he's welcome to talk about the Mariners because I know there's a lot of people dying to talk about the Mariners. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, okay, so. You know, there's a bunch to go over. And one of the things we're going to cover, we've got patron questions, by the way, another benefit of being a patron, we're going to go over some of those. we got some really great questions from patrons. Uh, we'll cover those later in the show. We got to talk about this game. I think that there hasn't been a game that's resulted in this much acrimony and different takes. Like people walked away from that game and it wasn't just us. Like, in the real hot talk chat, we were all like there was definitely divisions of like how we were reacting to that game. It was super strong reactions, and and we're seeing it not just there. Brock and Salk were arguing like cats and dogs this week. You know, it, it was all over Twitter, and it's just interesting. I think it's worth kind of figuring out why. Like, what what was it that was triggering people? We'll talk about that a little bit hopefully do it in a way that doesn't um you know cause any of us to just hang up the the, the call but we'll, we'll go there and then you know we got to talk about this team and and what what's coming up for this team we have got a game against the Cardinals and and what's going next and how good is this team and and you know I, I think it's worth kind of getting back into that conversation and there's been some changes we had to Trade. Uh, we've got some movement on the practice squad. Um, so guys being signed to the 53-man. People being cut. Draft picks being cut. Um, you know, some of my priors are getting confirmed. So of course we're going to talk about those. But uh, anyway, let's let's get into it. Um, I'm going to be gracious because I, I like to be so. Uh, I want to start Evan by giving you the floor to talk about. Uh, that game obviously frustrated all of us. That was the one unifying factor. We were all pissed. Like the Seahawks should have never lost that game. Uh, that was incredibly frustrating. When you were watching it, what what in particular, and even in in review, what about it really sent you sent you sideways?
0: Yeah, I think I think um, this may be a little bit cliche to say, but like from the moment they took the field in the first quarter. This team just felt like they looked unprepared. They looked a little waxed, daisical, like almost just in their body language. It kind of frustrated me that it just seemed like they were fucking around a little bit and they weren't ready, ready to play that day. I think, um, you know, we played the blame game in the post in the post game show. Nathan and I did, but um, you know, there were a lot of a lot of a lot of parts that that failed on on Sunday, whether it be special teams, Chris Carson, um, game management decisions by the coaches, um, uh, you know, a few Russell Wilson overthrows or underthrows. he was low on a few balls. Um, Anything that could go wrong felt like it did go wrong on Sunday. And I think one thing that really frustrated me was I got my hopes up in the end that somehow they were going to pull this game off and pull out a win in the end. I hate myself for having hope like that. But you know, we've, seen, we've seen this team do some crazy things over the years. But I think over, over you know, really the course of the entire game, I feel like there were a lot of avoidable mistakes. Um, you know, the special teams punt return was a complete disaster. Nobody stayed in their lane. We got absolutely blown up you know, to start the game there. Really killed the vibe you know, from the offense and defense point of view. Um, Chris Carson fumbling is a huge, huge problem. You know, I mentioned it in the post game show, but he he's matched his 2018 fumble totals in three games through 2019. Adding that Rashad Penny was inactive that day because he had injured himself Thursday or Friday. Um Carson's, Carson's issue is really posed like a a real liability. I think um, on the team. He you you could argue that Carson has caused a minimum Carson's mistakes over the past two weeks have caused a minimum of 14 points, maybe 17 points, um, over those three fumbles. So the Chris Carson issue is a true liability. I'm really curious to see how this team, um, manages him going forward, but on the other side of the ball, like, or I guess on the sidelines, I really felt like, um, and this is an all on Pete Carroll, but I felt like there were a lot of coaching missteps that were, not typically things that happen in you know, Pete Carroll coach football games or Brian Schottenheimer coach football games. I went through a list you know that I that we had talked about in the post game show, and I'll just mention some of the things that frustrated me. Um, punting on the opponent 39 on the second drive of the game, I thought you know what what did they net like 19, 20, 22 yard 21, 22 yards of a field position. Um, I know it was raining, I know it was a little windy, but you know, Nathan brought up a great point. You're paying Jason Myers four, four to four, four to four point five million dollars a year. You know, if you're treating him like a Pro Bowler and you expect him to be at that level, I'm kind of surprised they didn't kick it. Um, so I was disappointed by that. I think obviously the um, you know missed timeout in the in the first half was was uh, a Pete Carroll problem. He admitted it himself. Um, you know, Tedrick coming onto the field <laughs> to get that penalty was uh, tragic. That's not really, it's kind of like a coaching thing, but it's kind of not, that was, just, that, that's just a player discipline issue. That is super frustrating to me. Those things should, absolutely should not happen. Um, you know, the run on third and six in the third quarter, after the fumble recovery, you know, on the special teams play that, that was just mind numbing to me. Russell Wilson was playing really well throughout that game. And, and I can't believe they took the ball out of his hands and, and you know, Punched it down the gut and ended up getting no points off of it. So that was, that was really gross to me. Um, Not going for two on that fourth quarter drive. Um, I just felt like there were a lot of easily preventable mistakes if they had showed up prepared and ready to roll on Sunday. And, and it just didn't look like they did everything that, you know, pretty much everything that could have gone wrong went wrong with the exception of like three players, three players I thought played really well. Russell Wilson. K.J. Wright, who was all over the field, played a great game. And then Tyler Lockett, I think, had a great game also. You know, matched his – or I think beat his career high in receptions, had a really good game. So um, I know I just ranted a lot, but I think that's my take.
2: If you could have any one of those back, which one would you want?
0: Probably the Carson fumble. Wasn't it returned for seven? Yeah. Or, yeah, I think probably the Carson fumble because and, – and I'll tell you why. It's not even because of that – like, like, fuck that game. We're like, we're going to lose that. Let's just say we lose that game regardless, purely for Carson's confidence level, like moving forward, you know, every other question Pete Carroll is being asked is Carson's fumbling a lot. How are you going to manage his situation? Um, This offense without Carson for as much as we say, running backs don't matter. Like, I think it is a downgrade to Rashad Penny or anybody else. So I think purely from the confidence perspective, it's really concerning. Nathan,
1: you know, as you're watching that game, and then you you kind of you come back afterwards and you think about it some more. You know, what was what was your general reaction to that game? Like, where where you know, it sounds like you played the blame game, but you
2: know, what was your what were your takeaways from that game? I mean, immediately after the game or during the game, like it it just really clearly was just a stupid game, and they did. St- they just shot themselves in the foot over and over again, and so, and it got out of hand like early enough that I, I I was fine by the end of the game. Like it didn't bother me. I was just like, this is stupid. They fumbled and got returned for a touchdown. Like not only do you fumble and not only do you lose it, but then you get returned for a touchdown. Like you don't see that happen a lot. And the punt return and the stupid penalties and the stupid coaching stuff. And so it was just one of those where like, okay, everybody just went out and completely crapped the bed just move the, on
0: to next week right <laughs> the thing that was frustrating though Nathan is it felt like that game like if they had showed up you know and were prepared I felt like they could have won that game and, I, and that's not shitting on the Saints team but like Teddy Bridgewater is not that good
2: and the thing know? that hurts about it is that Russ was really good in it Um, and like for long stretches the offense felt like they were really good and then they would fumble and then they would go for it on third and one and not get it well I mean you go for it on third one but then they go for it on fourth one and they still don't get it like they just found different ways to stall and give the ball to their team and so like it really did feel like they wasted a, a pretty great Russell um performance but I mean the thing that really got under my skin though was the comments from Pete Carroll afterwards like that was when I really that was when it hit me and that was when I got mad about the losses you know saying that he is glad he didn't go for it on the the fourth down on the 39 that he shouldn't have gone for it on the on a couple of the other ones that he just straight up admitted to mean asleep at the wheel on the dk catch um and <laughs> and then just that weird ass comment about like wow alvin kamara's pretty good huh we didn't see that coming like what are you like what are you doing um so yeah pete went and rubbed a bunch of salt on on the wound and so that was hard Um, but my my I mean my main takeaway from it was like and I think this is why it's been so contentious is that like you can like fall back on whatever priors you have if you hate Pete Carroll you can rant a lot about Pete Carroll if you hate Chris Carson you never thought he was that good you can rant about Chris Carson if you hate passing and you hate the nerds you can rant about how look Russ threw for 400 yards and they lost like everybody kind of crapped the bed on this and so you can argue about whatever there's like there's blame to go around so like you can all we can all retreat into our corners and yell about the thing that we want to yell about and we're all right like (laughs) that's the that's the thing that that you know
1: listening to you both that 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 was what was so surprising to me even during the game it was so clear to me that that this was like going wrong in all sorts of places and and the part that that triggered me frankly was that it felt like there was there was conversation about um that there was one part of that that was much worse than another and, and in this case it was coaching like was coming up as like the reason uh that, that, that the coaching really blew this game <laughs> i i you know, as Jeff joins the show, hey, uh, at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter, uh, did did you did you win? Is what everyone wants to know. Um, in softball, we
3: just had the equivalent of the Jermaine curse Packers championship
1: victory.
2: Did you really? play? the way?
3: Were you involved, or I, were
1: you just you know on the side?
3: I was involved. Our team was down twelve runs. It we a seven inning game in the sixth inning, and we came back and won in the seventh inning in walk off fashion. So I was delayed an extra fifteen minutes. Thought I'd be home a lot earlier, but
1: yeah, we won. I'm ready to talk ball now. Congrats, man! That's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's, it's just wreck softball, but it's still fun. Doesn't matter. Competition's competition. It feels great. So yeah, uh, it's pretty congrats. cool. Um. Anyway, we're just talking about you know takeaways from the game, and and uh, Evan just gone gone off, and and. Oh, uh, I missed it. And, uh everyone was very measured everyone was very measured
0: really? I, actually i will i will i will respond to what you just said brian in terms of you saying like everybody had you know a piece of the blame i will say and maybe you disagree with with me on this if coaching had had like a good game if Pete carroll had had a good game if brian schottenheimer had called an exceptional game i think they win that game despite those errors I really do believe I that. think
1: that's crazy. So so let, let me explain why. I mean, I'll I i mean, I'll first of all just say my overall takeaway was very similar to Nathan's, which is every aspect of this team fell apart in that game. Like everything, they were good. They were, there was enough of a gap between how good Seattle was versus New Orleans that it took all of those things going wrong for them to lose that game, right? Everybody – everybody had to do something bad. Even Russell, and people, like, I think misunderstood my tweet, but I don't even really care. Like, even Russell, there was a couple of plays I think he would have wished he had back and could have made a difference of in that. Course. So it wasn't that he was, the like, on the list of things wow. that were problems with this game. He wasn't on the top eight, maybe even the top ten, but he was on the list. Like, he did some things that definitely contributed to them not winning. Um, and... And so the shock to me was that coaching was coming up as the top one for so many people because I look at it and I'm like, if Pete had made all the different decisions that everyone Mm -hmm. wants him to make, but you still had Al Woods lining up in the wrong freaking place and turning zero points into seven, if you still have... Michael Dixon kicking the worst punt of his career, and you know terrible punt coverage leading to a a score, and you had Chris Carson fumbling again and having it return for a touchdown. Where not only that happened, but none of the offensive players even tried to tackle because none of them thought it was an actual fumble. Like that's twenty-one points. They wouldn't have won. Like I I still don't think they would have won. So, so like Brian, this is kind of crazy to me, And, and those are it's a stretch to me to say that the, the majority factor in those three situations was a coaching issue. I think those are all pretty clearly physical mistakes or, you know, errors by the players. And I just would want us as fans, like it doesn't really matter, but like <laughs> integrity and like fairness is like, I have a huge fairness is a third rail topic for me. And I think it's very unfair to, to not put accountability on the players. For, for their role in that game. I thought the, I thought the players really blew it um, in a lot of ways. And one more thing, and I'll let you get in. It is also – the irony is incredibly thick that the game that is the tipping point game for so many people about Pete Carroll and his approach is, it, is a game where the game plan on offense often was what – so many people have asked for. And I'm not talking about the second half when they went to throwing because they had to, that's different. But look, I mean, this is what I was going to bring up for you earlier, Evan, like passing, like first down over the first three games of the year, how many, what percentage of, what percentage of plays on first down for the Seahawks over the first three games do you think are passes?
0: I'd say like 55%, maybe
1: 60%. That sound – you guys have any different – roughly different feelings about 55%? Yeah, I'd say like 60%. So more passes than than rushes is what you all are feeling like, yeah? Mm-hmm. You're actually right on. 55%. What would you say the LA Rams are in terms of their first down pass ratio? I, think
3: not, I read today they've gone the other way. I think they're like last in the league passing on first down. 38%.
1: Yeah, I read that today. I'm surprised. 33 passes, 55 runs. What about Dallas? The new, like, up-and-coming, everybody that's a nerd loves what Dallas is doing on offense. What's what's their what's their pass rate on first down? What, what, so, hold, hold on. Hold on. She asked the question. What's the pass rate on first down? <laughs> <laughs> 34%. 34%. So, Kansas City, the other, like, favorite. Their pass rate on first down is 56%. So they're roughly the exact same as the Seahawks. There are a lot of that's just one stat, but you can go through a number of these pieces to say in neutral script situations, the Seahawks are passing more than they ever have. Russell Wilson is playing better than he ever has. That's neutral script? I That's not. That's first down. But if if right. you go to neutral script, the Seahawks are passing more than they than they ever have.
2: I would be very interested to know those first down numbers in neutral script for like Dallas and KC. Who have had huge leads for significant chunks of their games so far? Yeah. Yep. Yep.
1: So, uh, in any event, I think that uh it, that's part of the irony here for me is I think that the 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 threshold is being moved. It's like okay, so so now they're doing some of the things that everyone's been saying. God, when are they? They're never going to do it. Pete Carroll's never going to do it. They do it. They still lose, and it sucks they lost. It's like yeah, but Pete Carroll just sucks. He'll never change. It's like, but they're
2: changing. So like. It's just a frustrating, like... What were your reactions to his comments, though?
1: Oh, man. I I was so frustrated with that game. I didn't give a shit what Pete said. <laughs> like, I, I mean, whatever. I The thing that I respected the most about what Pete said is he said, I had a terrible game. Yeah, that's fair. He didn't hide from it one bit. He was like, I had a bad day. I mean, a number of the decisions he said he had a bad made a bad decisions about I'm sure all of us would feel differently than what. Yeah. (laughs) That matters less to me. Like, I respect I respect leaders that take accountability for not doing their jobs well.
0: And. Hundred percent. I mean,
2: that was it was whiplash. So it was like, you know, (laughs) oh, he's he's owning up to it. That's that's cool. I I appreciate the accountability. And then he was like, yeah, I shouldn't have done all those good things I did. And it's like, wait, what are you talking about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost, I was, I had to listen like three times to like over different press conferences to know which things he was regretting. Cause I was, it was so surprising. Like, wait, that was the, what you were like, what? Um, I mean, the going for it on fourth down before at the end of the half. Um, I don't know. I mean, and it's, I mean, yeah, he said a lot of stupid things. Pete, Pete said stupid things forever. Marshawn said stupid things. Like, I mean, it's, it's it's not an intelligence test like I, I'm just I'm, I'm looking for how they're how they're setting up the team for football and also I have to admit I know I'm ranting on this as well but everyone's like man we got killed like the the, the defense looked like shit The you know Teddy Bridgewater sucks Teddy Bridgewater the whole offense had 265 yards Teddy Bridgewater didn't do anything Alvin Kamara had like 70 yards rushing under four yards to carry and that was with 16 missed tackles like I mean, if they had just tackled normally, and yes, some of it absolutely has to be accountable to Kamara being a great back, but like, there were just so many mistakes. And and like, it's just it was just so weird to me. And it was also disheartening that all of that was like, okay, we're going to blame one guy. And ultimately, it is one guy that's responsible for the way the team plays. But when anything goes well, when Russell plays well, and Russell played well in this game, none of the credit goes to the coaching. It's all Russell. It's just like, that's just stupid
0: that's just not but real Brian my frustration with this game was not how they started drives you know passing on first and second down great to see we're seeing an uptick in percentage on that that's awesome they absolutely are adjusting in that realm it's not how they're fin- or starting drives it's how they're finishing drives and that's what was so problematic for me in this game second drive of the game they punt on the fucking opponent 39 opponent 39 to gain 20 yards of field position. That was ridiculous. That was ridiculous. Like that is I, and I can't handle that. That like you don't have Mark Sanchez at quarterback. You have Russell Wilson at quarterback. Take the fucking risk. You know what I mean? Like put up points. Put up freaking or points. the field goal or kick the field goal with your $4.5 million per year kicker. Jason Munzer. had Mont-
1: zero field goals on the year and my boss drafted him on my recommendation. Well, I'm in he- hot water with that. Thank I'm- you.
0: No, he, he, did, he did miss in pit. Okay, okay, it was a 59 yard field goal, whatever. No,
2: See, Brian, the only reason that Evan is mad is that he robbed him. Pete robbed him of an opportunity to do a victory lap about Jason Myers.
0: Damn right. It. I was going to tweet about it. I had my tweets prepped and everything. <laughs> you had I had drafts drafted. ready to go. <laughs> I, had, I had saved drafts ready to go. But, but like I said, Brian, it's not how they start drives right now. It's how they're finishing drives. Another drive that they finished poorly. End of the first half. Pete was not prepared for a, an explosive play. He didn't call a timeout. Oh, they pissed eh? away. They pissed away three points, though. Yep. They lost the game by six fucking points. Take that. Take that drive. Mm. Make it a field goal. Jason Myers oh. is gonna kick it one hundred percent. No doubt oh, in my oh, mind. So, so that was DK Metcalf caught that ball on like the fifteen yard line. That's an automatic field goal. So that's three points right there. Another play in the in the in the third quarter. They run the ball on third and six. Oh, oh, that, and that was horrible. after this. Exactly. Well, it so I think that's shoddy It Doesn't okay, shoddy coaching. I'm just I'm just saying coaching in general here was a yeah. problem. So I'm not gonna assume that drive was a touchdown. Let's say, let's say, you know, let's say um, let, let's say it, it's not a touchdown. But if you take those three drives where they critically fail towards the end of the drive, if if that's a field goal on every single drive, that's nine points and they win the game. You know, if in best case scenario is, Hey, both of those two drives where it went deep into enemy territory, 14 points. And then the DK Metcalf catch, you know, to end the first half is, is three points. It's 17 points. That's why I'm saying like, I truly believe like it's not, I agree with you, Brian. I I do want to give credit to the coaching staff here. They're passing more on first and second down. We're seeing adjustment there that is encouraging. Yes. What is not encouraging is how they're finishing drives. What I feel like is in cowardice. Like they they need to be more aggressive when they're in opponent territory. I'm going
1: to let you get in here, Jeff, but I got to respond to that. Go ahead. I think I know what you mean, but I don't think it's really finishing drives because the Seahawks, you know, the number one team in the NFL in red zone touchdown rate, it's your Seahawks. They're eight for nine in the red zone. Like they're they're finishing drives damn well, better than any other team in the league. I think what you're saying is they're squandering scoring opportunities, and like yes. we saw that in the in the Pittsburgh game at the end of the first half when you know they were in field goal range and all of a sudden they're not. And so I, I get some of that, but I just wanted to get in and clarify there, Jeff. You haven't no, had a chance. Right. Why, why don't yeah. you jump in
0: here?
3: So it's interesting where Evan's coming from, and I understand why the situational errors are annoying. And Pete's been bad at that for years. My personal take on the coaching kind of comes from a different perspective. And if you guys saw our chat, I was pretty annoyed with the coaching. But not as much for, like, botching the obvious, not going for two or wasting time out. That stuff, Pete's just not good at I've kind of accepted at this point. It's annoying. But he's been doing this for 10 years. And he just, for some reason, I, I don't know, Tater's gone. It still hasn't gotten better. So whoever he's using just – what kind of annoyed me is i don't know i was watching the chiefs game out in the early session and watching how they played and how the ravens played and the way seattle just approached the game kind of irked me and i know a lot of comments have come out and we had a good talk in our chat today about pete's kind of philosophy but what kind of bothers me and Danny O'Neill, uh with espn 710 wrote a great article kind of summarizing my thoughts from the game pretty well what kind of irked me about this game is just the way that they think they have to win now, and Pete still wants to play that great defense, play close games, keep it tight, keep it tight, play like let these inferior quarterbacks make mistakes. I kind of hate that mentality, and I think it kind of stems back to Pete's overall philosophy that i probably the part of his philosophy I hate the most is that that you can't win in the first quarter stuff. I think it stems back from that, and because of that now they start slow every year and we just accept this as, Oh, we do this every year. So it's okay. And they've played awful in two, both their home games, they've played awful. And to me, that's just not okay. And the fact that they're approaching it and us as fans and on Twitter, and we're just like, let's, let's forget about this. I think this is a problem. And I don't think they can play like that because they don't have the defensive personnel they had when they could win like that in 2015, 2014, the Super Bowl years, this is a different team. They have a, decent defense that might come around once their defensive line gets going but their secondary doesn't look particularly interesting and their best assets are on offense and they're not a great running the ball team right now their run blocking has been terrible you guys have probably talked about their low success rates they've been awful if Bertino wants to run the ball and it's nice to see them passing more but i just think they have to try to win differently and the fact that they their game plan on this game against teddy bridgewater I remember they did it at Arizona last year in a game. They probably should have lost. I like took like a sea bass field goal at the last second to win. It reminded me a lot of that. The fact that they're still trying to win like this irks me. And I know the situational stuff. Like I don't want to just blame the coaches for the game. I think if you're going to take any blame at anyone, it has to be the players. Players made three critical mistakes. I still believe if Carson doesn't fumble that ball, they win the game. I thought that play swung the game so bad. They were starting to move out of their own end. I, I, personally believe that if that doesn't happen, they win the game. So I think that's where you, I most of my blame would go. But more than the situational stuff, more than some of Pete's moronic comments he's made in press conferences and interviews, just that mentality still bothers me. And I don't, I think I'd like to see them adjust and kind of be more aggressive because that's the kind of team they have, and that's how they have to win their margin for error.
1: Like I, I understand. Yes, tell me if I'm wrong. I've made that. I mean, I made – I wrote an article after the 2012 playoff loss in Atlanta specifically talking about this notion and, like, that this was a flaw and a blind spot for Pete. And I have even talked to Pete about it. And I was like, is this a chance – Like. You, you talk all the time about words lead to actions and, you know, it, there's a reason you say things and you have a mantra and you come back to it because it brings focus to it and it makes you improve on it. Um, you know, is this a place you should like, should you really be saying it, you can't win a game in the first quarter? Is that really what you want to be saying? Is it more, you know, it's not, it's not just how you start. It's also how you finish. I mean, there's weaker words, but like, it, do you really want to focus on that? It doesn't matter how you start. And that's kind of how he's he's set up his his language, and I do think that it's a flaw in his in his philosophy. I absolutely do. But then I'm like, all right, what re- what realistically are we asking for there? Are we saying we want to take more um, aggressive shots downfield? I would say if you look back at the Cincinnati game, I think they were starting out aggressively. I think if you look at the the Denver game last year, I think they were starting out aggressively. And their offensive line could not hold up. And they got their asses kicked. They got, the, they got it, their, it handed to them. And so, you know, I think one of the things that was encouraging this year is that, you know, they, they managed to win two games where they didn't play well. And and yet, uh, you know, and Brian Schottenhammer looked like he was going to be able to start, you know, sticking with the pass game that he was doing and now they just they, they blew a game that I think we all thought that they should you know everyone thought they should have won so you know Nathan said at the beginning I just wonder like some of this is like man the Seahawks they blow a game every year every year multiple times a year that you're just like oh my god how in the world did you lose this game like 2014 team started the year they lost to Nick Foles and the Rams that like was like a four-win team or something like that like That was a Super Bowl team. So I don't want to just sweep it under the rug. But I do then to get back to, like, what are the fundamentals of this team and where they look strong where they look weak? The offense is showing some signs. Like, the offense, the the passing game is looking promising. I think some of the weapons are developing. The defense is also showing some signs. this game, like, I can't believe that the Seahawks gave up no sacks and, like, two quarterback hits on offense. If you had told me that before the game, I would not have believed that was possible against the Saints defensive line. I thought they had a massive advantage there. So I don't know what it all means, but, but uh, you know, I don't look at this game and think it's, like, even in the top 10 of worst losses during the Pete Carroll era. Really?
2: no the problem is just that like they're all the same yeah yeah. i mean and and like you said i mean like this is not a new flaw right it's it's a failure in pete's like risk reward assessment here and i mean people are gonna say you know look he's won a ton of games doing it this way and and they're right right but he's also lost games doing this and and sometimes it's stupid games like that tampa game or this game and sometimes it's the cowboys game last year right um it, it just – and with Russell Wilson, it just feels, like, just so extreme. Like, you could open it up a little. You could be a little more aggressive. You can give yourself a little bit of a buffer. Like, this team had just about everything go wrong. And, I mean, they scored a touchdown with zero – a meaningless touchdown with zero seconds left to, to get it as close as it was. It, it was not that close of a game. But, like, they were kind of still in it, right? And you, you take back – I think – Obviously, the Carson thing, you take that the fumble and the touchdown, you take that back. Obviously, that that makes a huge difference. But like, I think that if Al Woods doesn't have that penalty, they'd probably win this game. I think you're right. And so, like, we're talking about a play or two in this disastrous game. And like, just 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 give yourself a little bit more buffer for when these things go wrong. Because clearly no matter how much he preaches turnovers and no matter how much he says special teams matter, like you're just going to have shit happen. Like shit happens. That's a thing for a reason.
1: Like that, that all makes <laughs> sense, except it, it the, the part that just seems like a logic leap for me is that there's just a different way that, that they could call the game that would give them more room for error and that we know that to be a, a fact. I, I mean, of course you'd like to have like a bigger lead or play better in some way, but I don't know that, I think that there's the the implication that somehow fans know that if they just did this, that they would have more room for, for error. Well, I don't know that I believe that's the case. Like
3: it's stuff with like, when Pete says the day after that he shouldn't have gone for it on fourth and one, it should have pinned them deep instead. It's stuff like that where it's like, that's that shouldn't be his mentality. He, he got stopped on fourth and one. His offensive line got beat. Like, yeah. if your mentality is we should have punted there, that's the stuff I think Nathan and I and Evan are referring to.
2: Yeah, and it's juxtaposed with Harbaugh going out there and talking about going for two and how that gives him an edge. And you know, I, I don't know if anyone like that was the, the 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 sound bit that everyone picked up. But if you listen to the whole thing, Harbaugh talked about it. He's like, no, I don't go with the analytics all, all the time. He's like I, I get yelled at by the analytics guys all the time. They they want me to go by the analytics way more than I do. When it's 50-50 type stuff, when it's 52% one way or you know 56% one way, he doesn't he he mixes in his guts. He reads the situation, he takes context into it, but like he was very adamant that going for two in those situations made the, gave them a better chance to win and that he's going to keep doing it because like it it really is just like Proven at this point that these things give you a better chance to win. I mean that punt on from there from the Saints thirty nine. That was there's a the surrender index now, and I, I don't know what all goes into it, but it was in the ninety nine point seven percent percentile of surrendery punts. Like it was as cowardly, and we talked about using the word cowardly with Carol today, and I don't really like that in a lot of situations. But that was just cowardly. That was just surrendering, and so. know I think a lot of that stuff just has to has to has to has to get better and and that he came out the next day and was saying that those the few when he did go by the numbers and when he did do the things that helped the team that he regrets that like that was the kick in the gut for me yeah I, I think
1: I think we've we've hit that on multiple angles and and I think you know my my point of view continues to be uh, there was a pretty much complete team collapse across the board and coaching staff. Like if anyone's hearing me is like uh, Carol apologist here, I'm not. I agree with pretty much everything you guys said about the things that he did that he should have done differently and his philosoph- philosophical challenges. I also just see that I also agree that even with the way Pete coaches in those situations his team should have won this game if his players hadn't made like any one of a number of really bad mistakes. And so you kind of get the good with the bad, no matter who you have. And, and I, you know, I, I, I still see that there's that this team overall is better off having someone like Pete Carroll in charge. And you just hope that there's more there's more evidence of him starting to adapt and change, and and learn, listen to his coordinators, and listen to analytics more, and all those kinds of things. But, yeah, this, this game to me was not the the lasting indictment of him. Um, but I understand now a little bit better why for you guys it was really a it was a bitter pill.
0: What concerns me about this game is I feel like it's going to but come to bite us in the ass so hard when it comes to playoff seeding. Oh, yeah. I, I just know it's going to. This is not an AFC loss to the Steelers where a conference, you know, um, win-loss ratio comparison is not a factor here. This is a factor. They're an NFC team. So, I yeah, think it's going it, to stay. Yeah,
1: this was brutal. There is no way around it. Um, it's it's not quite as brutal as the Mariners playing the Astros and going 1-18 and in, in a season against a single opponent. But that it happened. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> yeah, like I just was looking at the score, the score now. It's, well, it's, it's the top of the sixth, and the Astros are up two nothing. But yes, they're they're one in seventeen against the Astros so far this year. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you guys realize that our very own Cable Thanos destroyed the Mariners? No. He made a, he made a Mariners hype video this past season, and they were like, remember they had started off their season like fourteen and two or whatever. And Cable Thanos, Joshua Cashman, if you're listening, you know, uh, makes a hype video for them. And all of a sudden, it just goes completely well, off the Well, let's talk about
1: that for a second, a little bit longer, because there was another thing that didn't happen last week after a win. And oh yeah, I kind of feel like there's some responsibility in this crew that needs to be called out. Like, I was waiting for... A cable Thanos video
2: after our triumphant, you know, big win in Pittsburgh, and it never came. Yeah, the Mariners don't need any help jinxing themselves, but that (laughs) might have done the Seahawks. We didn't even get a crab video or nothing. Nope. Yeah, the Seahawks
0: feed off meme meme energy, and we're just not getting it.
1: We may need to just like create a video of him playing the ukulele uh, on loop um, until he. until he produces again that that was that was you know if we're if we're playing the blame game i think a little bit goes up to bellingham so uh just keep that in mind josh when you're cutting up the pod today so uh let's let's move on a little bit let's take some questions from patrons and uh we'll go around round robin here um uh each you guys can take one of these but um let's start with you jeff uh and the the first question um we're gonna go with here is uh from jose rodriguez thank you for being a patron and his question is who is going to be the upgrade from a next year if not sooner and and i'll add to this you know george Fant is currently the highest graded pass blocking lineman on the seahawks according to pff and outperformed dwayne brown in this past game so yeah Answer Jose's question and, and add to it, like why is George Fant not pushing for, for snaps right now?
3: Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. We hear about competition all the time and the comp is always on. But I asked Joe to for Joe Fant today. I kind of sent him a DM to ask that question. He he tweeted out that they like Fant in his role and they doesn't seem like the comp is on. So I don't know how a Fetty could not be battling for a spot based on how he's played. To answer your question directly, I would, I think George fan is the right tackle of the future. I think they're going to sign him to an extension either after the season or but probably after the season. I think he's the guy there. It doesn't seem like Jamarco Jones is getting much of a look at right tackle. He seems like Dwayne Brown's backup, but I think he's the guy who's going to, I don't see them. There was a lot of talk on Twitter before the season that a Fetty was a the guy they had to resign. He was underrated. I want no part of him going forward. Uh, I would not pay that guy almost anything. Is Ben, and, is
1: ben still saying that, by the way,
2: Mister Baldwin? Ben is no, silent on the matter.
0: Ben has <laughs> been very conveniently silent.
2: Yeah, ben. you know, and this
0: is, yeah, Ben B Baldwin calling your shit out. Ifetti is not a seventeen million dollar per year tackle. That's garbage. He's sorry. sorry.
1: He is trash. split all the way back to Ifedi. And I think not only for Evan, but maybe for all of us. He is. He, is, he sucks. I sucks. <laughs> I think I've been it.
0: saying it says day one. He should not be a starter on this football team. Yeah. yeah. I agree.
1: All right. So let's go next to uh, um, Nathan. And... Um, uh, this, this relates to something I think you you talked about, but Michael Hendrickson asks, thanks for being a, a patron, Michael. He says, is it possible that the Seahawks' slow offensive starts are due in part to game scripts designed to probe defensive tendencies? And last year's playoff game, notwithstanding, do you think Brian Schottenhammer does a good job of analyzing defense and making mid game adjustments?
2: Uh, so yeah, this is a cool question. We talked a lot, of it, uh, a lot about it today in the, the group chat. Um, So the first question, do I think that they intentionally start slow or, or these slow starts are related to them trying to gain information? I think that's definitely true. Um, I don't think that's good. Uh, I, if you look at how Seattle starts in their first 15 games so far this year, they're worse than Miami. Uh, and you know, you can see very good offenses like Kansas city and other ones that that do much better. And so, um, you know, when you talk about, uh, misjudging the risk reward of these things, um, I think how they start games and how they feel about, uh, getting information is definitely one of the areas where that's a, I mean, a big problem for them. And, um, and I think this, this goes to just like overall philosophy too. I think that, uh, if you look at some of these games against we talk a lot about how they play down to opponents and i don't really think that's actually what's happening what's happening at least i don't think that they're um unprepared or that they don't take them as seriously um it's that they like just straight up disrespect bad teams and they were kind of open about it against the bengal's um i mean one of the things was the bengal's is they sat on so he ended up setting another week so maybe that wasn't so much a part of it but they were pretty honest about just playing vanilla and they played base the whole time. And that's kept up a little bit too, but you can look back and see these games where, you know, they play down to these bad teams and they, they kind of go vanilla. And I think part of that is just them not wanting to put anything on tape. Um, It's this whole kind of, it's a conservative mindset, but it's also this idea that they're, uh, yeah, I think they're just trying to avoid. They want to. They want to feel the teams out, and then they want to try to adjust, and then and, and they don't want to put stuff on tape that they don't have to. And I think that all kind of comes together in a lot of the complaints we have about um, how Carroll approaches these games and these slow starts and the whole you can't win it in the first quarter thing. Um, as to whether uh, Shadi's been good at adjusting, I think um, I don't know. It's a good question. I uh, I think. Well, we used to give Bevel a lot of credit for this too. Um, that, that they would have these big second half adjustments. I don't know if he's actually particularly good at it, or if it is just that they're so conservative in the beginning that anything, any when they finally decide to like play football, it looks good. Um, I don't think we have a lot of reasons to think he's particularly bad at it. Um, but it's it's hard to say. Um Maddie Brown would probably give you a better answer here. I'm sure Maddie Brown would tell you yes, because Maddie Brown loves shotty, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, but I really think a lot of it just stems from them wanting to play keep it close to the vest uh, early on.
1: All right, Evan, I'm coming to you next. Um, We've got a, a question from Grant Resnick um thanks for being a patron grant uh should we be concerned about our pass rush after ziggy Anza and Jadavian Clowney's performance this week
0: that's a really good question um yes since those are two fairly big names i i think we came into this season hey you know we just traded for Clowney. You know, hey, we signed um, Ansa. You know, in the offseason and free agency, hey, we drafted LJ Collier. Um, Jared Reed is still on suspension, um, but I think we should be concerned. And and maybe this is an irrational take, irrational take right now. But I think our best pass rusher is Quinton Jefferson right now. And I, I and I know that sounds very crazy to say, but. Um, I feel like Clowney has made an impact. I don't know how many sacks he has on the season, but he felt like he was noticeably silent during the Saints game. Onside, I didn't really notice anything from him. I haven't gotten a chance to go back and rewatch the coaches' film on either of those yet, so I will preface by saying that. But um, I think it is a concerning pattern. You know, at the start, let's see how it goes over the next few games. But I think Clowney's, uh, you know, immediate impact the first few games has been noticeable and definitely um, credible. Ansa is somebody who I'm really going to be watching.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think one thing I'll just add there is opponents do matter in those situations more than maybe we want to admit. Um, I think there's also is some nerd data on this that pass rush is um, a little less consistent than pass protection in, in some cases. Saints have one of the best pass-protecting offensive lines in, in football. And uh, uh, actually, Pittsburgh also has one of the best pass-protecting offensive lines in football. So I'll be curious to see how the Seahawks play um, you know, from a pass rush perspective when they, they face some different opponents. This week is a good place to start. Uh, the Cardinals are not one of the best pass-protecting offensive lines in football. So let's see how that turns around. Um, uh, rapid fire through a couple of these. Neil Cruz asks, was it going to take um, Pete to run the 2015-2016 offense? More losses, different of offensive coordinator, or does Pete have to be gone? So I'll take this one. I mean, I think I think there's a misunderstanding about the 2015-16 offense. And I think you're really talking about the second half of 2015. That's when we always refer back to. That that was a lot of quick, quicker passing, but there's also a miss perceptions about what that offense was Uh, people think oh the Seahawks passed a lot more the Seahawks actually rushed more often in the second half um, uh, of that year in the last eight games than they did in the first eight games Um, Thomas Rawls was a huge part of that um, that offense and how they were playing and what was going on was a lot again different types of passes they were doing a lot of twists with Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett against man defense and Uh, and I think they also benefited from facing some pretty shitty defenses to be honest during that that stretch as well so I think there's some like things to that that are urban legend there's other parts of it that certainly are frustrating and we talked about it in last week's pod they actually showed the closest thing to it last week in Pittsburgh in the second half Uh, and it was different it was against his own defense but it was quick passing and think we saw a little bit more of it this past week when they weren't fumbling the ball or doing something stupid that's why russell like they have the, the saints have a really good defensive line and they had no sacks and like a couple quarterback hits and the only reason that was the case is because russell was getting rid of the ball um pretty quickly so i do think there's some evidence that that they're moving in that direction um if you're asking you know are they going to need in order to run like a Sean McVay offense or an Andy Reid offense where they need a different coach? Probably. I mean, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of evidence so far that Pete values those coaches, um, but, but, but we'll see. Uh, all right. Um, let's grab one more question and then we'll talk about next week. Uh, Jeff. Through three games, this is from David Goldberg. Thanks for being a patron, David. Through three games, which players would you say have been the biggest positive surprise and which have been the biggest disappointment?
3: Positive surprise, I would have to say, offensively, I would go Will Disley and I guess DK Metcalf. I think Disley just coming off that injury that has ruined careers. he's looks like an ascending guy. He's looks like he's completely built off what he was doing last year and the fact they traded Nick Van away and they're, they're comfortable just to roll with him and Luke Wilson, I think that says a lot about him. He's looked really impressive. DK, we've gone over the stats and how good he's looked as a 21-year-old rookie. I think all of us thought he would start really slow. And I think the fact that he was able to just make the I, – I don't think they win either the first two games without DK's contribution. So that's been a very pleasant surprise Defensively, I believe Evan mentioned this in his last answer. I think it has to be Quentin Jefferson. Quentin Jefferson has taken a giant leap forward in the contract year. He's been their best pass rusher. He's, I think, sixth in the NFL in like, pass rush win rate by ESPN in an uh, interior defensive lineman. He looks like a really, really improved player. and He started to show signs of it last year, and he's been really consistent. Uh, I think from the disappointing end, I think Michael Kendricks would be my answer. Um, He was a guy he was kind of moving to a new position playing a different linebacker spot and based on what he looked like in preseason and based on how he looked last year I thought we would just think I assumed he would just jump into that role and have no problem but he's missed a lot of tackles he's whiffed a lot more than I would have guessed he hasn't really made a lot of impact plays. I've been pretty discouraged with his play I, I know they've been playing three linebackers a lot more to get him on the field and I guess offensively my disappointing player I guess is Dwayne Brown and it's not really a knock on him he just he was one of their best players last year he was an all pro level player and he's been just a guy this year
1: mm-hmm.
3: and for them to be good they need him and well, one last thought I've had enough of John Brown stop giving him snaps and looks I said to Nathan last week and frame that tweet I'm done with John Brown let's uh give those snaps to Ursua it's something. I, I don't want to see him anymore.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: Give it to Gary
2: yeah. Jennings. Don't yeah, goodbye, Gary Jennings. Go ahead. What were you gonna say anything? No, nothing. That was my joke.
1: <laughs> did I see all the answers there? You did, you did. And and uh folks that didn't see Gary Jennings was cut uh today. Uh we've got Luke Wilson back. Nick Vennett was traded for a fifth round kick, which by the way. Add it to the list of great moves by John Schneider. There's no way Nick Vinette was coming back next year to get a fifth round pick. That that's not a high pick, but that's high ish. And especially from a team like it's either Pittsburgh's or it's Jacksonville's that they got for um, when they traded that to Pittsburgh for Josh Dobbs, the backup quarterback, both of those teams, that could be pretty close to a low fourth round pick um, the way it'll work out if those teams are not very good this year. So yeah, um, yeah, great, great move, move there. Uh, before you drop off, Evan, um, uh, you're going to the game this weekend in Arizona. Uh, you, you mentioned, I think, that there's going to be a, a get together for Seahawks fans. Seahawks fans always show up big uh, in Arizona. It's one of the best places to go watch a Seahawks game on the road. If you haven't already, highly recommend doing it. Uh, where, where are folks, uh, where are folks meeting up?
0: yeah so pre-game uh, pre-game festivities are happening at salt which is a um like a Mexican bar amazing margaritas amazing tacos Mexican food it's to die for so that's just like two minutes north of the stadium physically like so pre-game festivities ton of seahawks fans will be there I know the Seahawkers uh, booster club is is doing um like a huge sponsored party event there they're really taking out the whole place so I think Wifey and I will stop by there for sure. Um, there's also another Seahawks bar in Scottsdale um, that people like is literally owned by Seahawks fans, and there's Seahawks gear everywhere. There's no Arizona Cardinals gear whatsoever. It's called the Skeptical Chemist. It's just under the 101 Loop on Bell Road in Scottsdale. Skeptical Chemist uh, Seahawks Bar, highly recommend it um, if you're looking to watch the rest of the games on Sunday or you know, just drop by for a bite to eat on Saturday night, that's a great location, too. So um, those are the two places I would absolutely make sure to hit if you are looking for Seahawks-specific um, events and parties.
1: And la- other thing before you go, what's your expectations about the game this weekend?
0: I My expectations are – and I don't have to go, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm good to stay. <laughs> but oh, okay. uh, my expectations are that um, – you know they they should absolutely stomp the Cardinals. The Cardinals are not a good football team. Yes, Kyler Murray is exciting. Um, I think he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. Yes, they have Larry Fitzgerald. Um, yes, they have David Johnson. But you know Patrick Peterson Peterson is suspended. I believe for the first six games, Russell Wilson should absolutely pick on these corners and, and defensive backs. I, I really, really would like to see, you know, like a total blowout game, like the Raiders game from 2018. That would make me, that would warm my heart. So we're not freaking out all day. So those are my hopes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take us back from the Cardinals game. I was, I was in a rush because Evan, you know, misled me in the chat, but <laughs> I want to ask a different question on, on, um, look in a couple weeks, Jaron Reed is due off the suspended list. That'll be, you know, after so the Seahawks play Sunday. They also play next Thursday. So they play, what is today? Well, tomorrow's gonna be Thursday. They're gonna play two games in the next seven days, right? And then they play then they play uh, in Cleveland the week after that. And then you've got Jaron Reed coming back and potentially Phil Haynes coming back. Assume they're both back. How much of a difference? Like, how much? better if at all do you think the Seahawks are when those two guys join the team and Nathan I want to start with you uh
2: I love your Phil Haynes excitement uh, I don't think he probably plays this year as I mean yeah you, you, you potty is probably gonna get hurt or fluke is gonna get hurt at some point and so maybe but even then like Posick looked okay so I think it's unlikely that we see much of Haynes this year although I'd be i mean i'd be happy i I think if you if if we do see him this year that's probably a really good sign for him um i think jaron reed uh that's going to be huge i just i haven't been paying like too close of attention to monet he's not getting a ton of snaps about 20 so or so a game um pff is not particularly impressed uh he does have a couple hurries so there's that but uh i think you start shifting those snaps over to to Jern Reed, and that that could be huge, um, especially since they want to boot, uh, want to do a bunch of um, twists and stuff with Clowny. Um, so if you're starting to to have a Quentin Jefferson, assuming Ansa kind of shakes some of the rest off, Clowny Reed, maybe Green's working in there too a little bit. Um, that that sounds a lot better than ah woods or monet or you know any of the other guys that any of the defensive tackles that that could swap in there so i think reed will be a a big uh improvement uh haynes i I doubt we see yeah i the reed thing is really where i was most focused haynes is
1: also probably going to come back i don't i don't know that he's going to make a big difference but but uh uh the Reed thing I have some question about. I mean, Quentin Jefferson's taking a lot of those snaps right now. Um, you'd like to think that they're better off with Reed, but Puna Ford, Al Woods, and, and Quentin Jefferson are actually doing a pretty pretty good job as a three-man rotation inside. Um, if Reed
2: comes back, I'm just wondering like how that plays out. And, and The cool thing about Jefferson right now is he's playing a lot of in, too, and he's looking good at it so you you don't necessarily have to take i mean that answers a lot of your questions this onset too like what do you do with him how much do you want to play him if if you can be rotating you know uh uh Clowney, quentin jefferson and green at, in kind of more base situations at end and then you have reed and um puna and 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 at the call and you can slide start to slide guys inside like q jeff or like green and then, you know, you have a, a nickel package of Ansa and Cloudy on the outside, then I think that starts to look pretty functional, really. And, I mean, Ansa was pretty disappointing. It's it's, it's first game back. I think Pete said his first game in almost a year or something like that. But uh, uh, so I think that you, you can be hopeful that he'll get better. But um, I, I, I think that they'll figure that out pretty easily, really, with how well Jefferson is playing both inside and out.
1: Um, Jeff, a question for you on, on... – the play of Russell Wilson so far. And and it's not just about Russell. It's about the way they're using him. But through the first three games of the season, he has his higher pass, highest pass raising he's ever had through the first three games, 119.6. He's tied for the most touchdowns with seven, which, by the way, last year was the other time he had seven touchdowns. So both years with Brian Schottenheimer most yards he's ever thrown for the first three games 902 highest completion rate 71.4 um he's been sacked eight times which is believe it or not uh not one of the highest totals (laughs) in the first three games of the year uh he's averaging 8.6 yards per attempt which is the highest other than the 2013 season when he had a 9.1 yard um yards per attempt so Pretty much across the board, he is playing better than he's ever played statistically. Um, what do you see – like, what does that mean to you in terms of what where the, the Seahawks can go from here? Well, the
3: incredible thing is
1: he's doing it with a pass
3: protection unit that's been pretty terrible. And so you do – you if the pass protecting gets better, he can almost – improved because all year Pete's Pete just said he looked remarkably better in training camp I think your reports were the same and he's been playing out of his mind like he's been very very good in all three games yeah, he missed a couple throws last week that could have changed the game that locket pass passed in the end zone was pretty tough but it's a look unlo- but I think he's playing this is, I think this is as good as he ever played other than that 2015 stretch run and this might be more impressive considering he's acclimating like an entirely new group of receivers. Pass protection's been pretty terrible. And I think the stuff they've been doing in the quick game is really suits his strengths. And if they could do a little more tempo and get him going, like they were in that the second half of the Pittsburgh game and kind of what happened last game at the end, that really suits his strengths. And yeah, that like the deep passing game and the play action stuff hasn't worked as well. But the way he's playing right now just let him keep rolling? He's been, he's been an MVP candidate, in my opinion.
1: You got a, you had a big smirk on your face, Nathan. What were you, what were you, th- what were you smiling about?
2: Things completely unrelated to what we're talking about. So I, I saw a funny tweet and then I was making fun of Evan in the chat. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Those sound like fun things. You know, I'm um, just keeping people updated on the Mariners. They are on pace through seven innings to be the first team in major league history to be no hit three times in one
2: season. <laughs> We're number one. We're number one. Oh, so bad.
1: Wow. So bad. Uh all right. Um so uh, oh one other thing I want to ask about. Uh Trey Flowers. So I kind of was surprised how much people were freaking out about the idea that Trey Flowers might not play in this game the past weekend. Like, remember, like, he twisted an ankle, he didn't practice, and they're like, oh, my God, Akeem King might have to play. We're messed up. Uh, Maddie Brown and I, like, we're talking a little bit, and Maddie's like, you're wrong. It would be a major blow if Trey Flowers can't play. Can you guys help me? Like, I look at Trey Flowers. I don't see that anybody is a major drop off from Trey Flowers. Like I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing great corner play from Trey Flowers. And if you guys are, I'd love to hear about it. And
2: what's the evidence to back it up? Anybody? <laughs> uh, he had, he, he has been a little up and down. I mean, I, I think that you always kind of have to assume uh that there's a reason why Trey Flowers or why any player is playing over somebody else. Um sure. coaches they're frequently wrong there. Um but I think that if a King King was better than Flowers, I think that you'd see a King King starting. Um and you know, uh he played better against Pittsburgh um PFF back setup, uh and and that was, you know, the week that we were coming off there. So um and their, their corner situation is not great to begin with. So, I don't know. This is like the Afetti thing. Like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but that's the thing,
1: right? Like, I mean, we, we're talking there that I think all of us do feel like there might be a better player sitting behind Ifedi, Um, And for whatever reason, he's not playing. may not be true. When Fant started, he wasn't particularly great last year. He did get a chance to start and, and did not sh- do a great job. I'm not saying Akeem King's great by any stretch. But what is it about Trey Flowers that has people like standing for him? I I don't I don't get it. Like yes, he used to be a safety and he converted to corner, but like so what? Like is he good? I don't that's all I care about. Is he good? And I, I mean, I thought in that game he was not very good and he has not, I don't think he's been very good this year. So I'm just
0: confused. Does it feel like he ever gives up the big play? And I, because it doesn't feel like it does to me. Maybe I'm completely wrong. If you're wrong. asking, does he
1: stay behind, like, on top? Yes. And, and I think, in fact, the Seahawks this year are one of the best defenses in limiting uh, opponents' explosive plays. I think they're fifth in the NFL in limiting explosive passes and maybe fourth in explosive rushes. So, yeah, they're doing that part of their defense well. And they did hold, hold the Saints to 265 yards, and I think they held the the – Steelers to like 275 yards so they've had some respectable defensive performances even if they've given up points I mean the average scoring position average the average starting field position for a touchdown drive against the Seahawks this year is like midfield <laughs> like the defense is has been in really bad shape in terms of what they're trying to defend but I mean I guess what you're saying Evan is he just he doesn't get burned deep and that's what makes him good
0: I wouldn't say it's not what makes him good. It's just relative to expectations. Like like Tedrick Thompson is an example of a player who, like, (laughs) you know, is gives up that deep ball, gives up that big play. I think in relation to the expectations I have for Trey Flowers, it's it's pretty much don't give up touchdowns. It's fine if you know if you're okay in coverage in the underneath and you give up slants and. You know, they might attack you a little bit because you're not as good as Shaquille, definitely. But I think relative to my expectations for him, I think he's doing just fine.
1: All right. Last question, then we'll get into uh, the the Cardinals game and wrap up. So uh, the Seahawks signs uh, Adrian Colbert to off their practice squad safety to to the 53-man roster. A number of teams are looking to sign him off of the Seahawks practice squad. That's why they made the move cut Gary Jennings to make room for him. Leno Hill sounds like according to Pete is going to hold on to the starting role, even though Tedrick's coming back. Uh, anyone here have a sense for what they're like. Marquise Blair, we're not hearing anything about him potentially stepping forward. Uh, what do you guys see happening at the safety position over the next two or three games? Do you see any change? Let's start there. Do you see, other than Lano Hill and Bradley McDougald, do you see anyone else potentially stepping into a starting role over the next three games? Jeff, start with you. Based on the information we were getting
3: today, no. I think I think McDougall, as long as he can stay healthy, he battled some injuries last game. Uh, He's the best safety they have, so he'll be on the field. And Leno's been fine, I guess. He hasn't, he hasn't been great. He hasn't been awful. So I don't think Colbert – I think Colbert just moving up was just purely asset management. I think he's more of a long-term play. And Blair is a position where he's overcoming that tough start to the – where he had to miss all that time. He's playing catch-up, and that's a, it's a really – it's a spot where they like security. They like people – being assignment correct rather than the flashy big plays. And I think it's just going to be Hill and McDougal for a while.
1: Nathan or Evan, you guys see anything different?
0: The well, only thing I would say – sorry, Nathan, go ahead. No, no, let's go for it. The only thing I had a concern about, and maybe Pete dispelled some of those concerns today, was the Bradley McDougal ankle issue. But it seems like he might be okay. I, 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 I would – I'd be worried about that flaring up. McDougal isn't injury prone, but he has had some injuries over his career and there might be an opening for Marquise there. If, if that lingers.
2: I just kind of want to like take a moment and go in the wayback machine to like yes. mm, two months ago. See, I think Evan already knows it's coming here. Uh, early preseason. And I remember a couple of us on here were talking about boy, Hasn't been a real great start for Marquise Blair, has it? And somebody was like, "No, no, he's great, he's amazing, he's going to be fantastic." And it's honestly pretty concerning at this point that.
0: Oh, oh stop it!
2: He's what not do, you wrong think what he's do you think of What do you think of second Thompson? round pick? And- yeah.
1: Early second round pick. Really crappy safety in front of him. Two crappy safeties,
2: and he can't sniff the field. And one of them got hurt and has missed time. And they're
0: activating another safety off the practice squad. This is like the Jari Evans experience. Do you remember when the Seahawks signed Jari Evans and he was, like, playing on On cables, like, third string? Do you remember that experience? Marquise Blair, I'll tell you right now, is a better safety than Delano Hill. And Tetra Thompson at free safety. Jerry
2: Evans had only Pro Bowl, are all Pro years behind him. Like there were. It rocks. was like thirty-four years old when he this was signed by the
0: team. The only reason he isn't starting right now is because Pete doesn't trust him to know the playbook. I think no, that's that can't my, be right
2: because Pete tells me that everyone always competes. So we know the problem is that he's just worse than everybody else.
0: I, they I, had I, to
2: activate a practice squad guy because they can't trust him. This is the thing and if my wife Colbert
0: just texts.
1: If Colbert plays before Marquise Blair, that's bad. That's
0: a sign, that's Evan. You got of it. But that's... I I would be shocked if that happened. Like I would not. I really don't You what? Really? I would not you be shocked. think they would Adrian
1: Colbert he, he he started 7 or 8 games for the 49ers 2 years ago and was pretty good. Uh, and then
0: followed it up within a completely shitty year. I but know. he can not beat
2: out Tedrick he can't beat out Tedrick. Marque- he can't beat out Lionel okay, Hill. You're
0: assuming, you're assuming he's not beating him. You're assuming it's like a skill or talent issue. This is not a skill or talent issue. Every time Marquise Blair has stepped on the field, he has made plays. Every single time.
2: LJ Collier, well, first of all, I don't think he has. I don't think that's true. He Did pretty you watch him well in preseason, preseason when he
0: actually got time?
2: He played a little bit in the New Orleans game. and It's hard to, it's hard to remember because he was invisible. Uh, LJ oh, Collier my. has gotten on the field. Uh he's not good. I'm pretty no, sure. He's, he's not. Uh Cody Barton's gotten on the field. Uh
0: DK doing some stuff on the field. Ugo's gotten uh, on the field. This is a coaching misstep. Marquise <laughs> Blair, I'm telling you right now, <laughs> should be wanna, starting at free safety.
2: Did you know who Marquise Blair was before they drafted him? Fuck no, I didn't.
0: Where did this confidence come from? <laughs> did you not
2: Mar- see him play in preseason? I saw him give up a touchdown. Two. I saw him give a. I saw him give up a big penalty because he keeps hitting people in the head when he's not supposed to. I mean, I get it. Like Marquis Blair is kind of like the the DK thing in a lot of ways. Like I, you can watch him in college and you can say, "Oh, I get that." Dude, like hits like crazy, and he's pretty athletic and stuff. But like, it's it's not working right now. And that doesn't mean that he's doomed. It doesn't mean he's a bust. But like, it's not working right now. And I will. Was-
1: I will say, Evan, I, I believe that Marquise Blair is very different situation than LJ Collier. I think Marquise Blair has already shown that he's got upside to be an NFL starter with some of the plays that he did make in preseason. And that more than likely, the things that are holding him back are exactly what you said. You know, I said as well that I think his command of the playbook and his discipline and how he's playing, that Pete doesn't trust him yet. And that he could just be a guy that starts next year, or you know, emerges and later. That's, the goes, thing. that's okay,
0: Nathan. It's been three freaking games.
1: But to if the start happened, of this, as
0: you say, is he'd be on the field?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's a little bit of an issue.
0: It, it is a little bit
1: of an issue. Yeah,
0: it's not an issue. An opportunity is going to come, and he will seize the moment. That he is—he's he's a good player. He has. Upside. This is a playbook schematic memorization issue. That's all this is. P Carroll went on record. P Carroll went on record, like saying, like you know, uh, he he made some errors in coverage or whatever, and I just feel more confident with Tedrick or whatever the fuck
2: he said. I'm gonna come out like, and say right now, playbooks matter, Evan. You gotta uh, learn them. I I think the bigger story
1: by far is. You guys tell me. When's the next game that LJ Collier is active for?
2: First round pick. We lost seven. Yeah. He got so mad about the Blair takes that we lost. Uh, seven. I, I mean, you got Reed coming back in a few weeks.
1: He's gonna need. He's gonna take a roster spot from some defensive lineman, and then he's gonna take an active roster spot from another. I think Collier already is off the active roster. He could be two spots off the active roster when Reed comes back. I don't know if he suits up for another game the rest of the year.
0: Wow. I think. He least-
1: oh. Uh oh.
0: <laughs> you know why I turned off my video? My wife came in and was like, "Shut the hell up! You're yelling on the podcast." Don't
2: snitch, Evan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> off <Not> wrong.
2: <laughs> uh,
3: I think you have to look at the call your thing as a richer year. Uh, it's defensive line has one of the biggest learning curves of any
1: position, especially a guy with low athleticism. And I, I, <laughs> Dude, come on, you're already starting off the road. I mean, that's what you guys I know, are like out.
3: How shitty was Quinn and Jefferson his first year, even Jaron Reed, like those guys stunk their first years. They didn't show anything. Like, I don't know if Collier's good or not, but like, I don't think him stinking in his first three games where he had no training camp is a big thing to me. Like defensive linemen take years.
1: I don't know. I I see. I'm not saying he's good. I'm just saying I would. I think you're misjudging if you think he's bad now. Like, I, don't I think, think I mean. if you see a defensive lineman and he looks like he's not an NFL athlete and he was a first round pick, uh, that's concerning from the jump. Whether or not he's effective or not, but like when he's slow off the the ball and just slow in general and not powerful and I don't know. I was pretty. Un, like unimpressed. He, he can be ineffective, but I just saw like some pretty concerning physical attributes in that game against Pittsburgh. And I think the coaches did as well. <laughs> that's why he was inactive the next week. So I mean, seriously, a first round pick to be inactive potentially for the rest of the year would be a really, I don't care. I, that's, I can't remember a situation like that. Golden Tate being inactive as a second round pick for the first week was a big deal back in 2010. Um, so,
0: so the really? first year, the first year, LJ Collier would play a full football season in the NFL as an active player. He would be 25 years old. Oh god, <laughs> I'm not kidding.
3: This, these guys stink at first round picks. It's embarrassing.
1: <laughs> they do. They do.
2: But um, how can
3: it be this bad, Penny?
2: I don't know. I was gonna kind of with Jeff on this though. Like I. I think the injuries and everything, I'm surprised that he is as raw as it turns out he is. I don't think that was something that really showed on tape at you. But one of the things that's really clear is he, uh, like, he gets, he overextends himself really badly. And I think, I mean, and 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 that's a big thing that the offensive linemen are taking advantage of him on. And that's something that we saw them working on with him in, in training camp. If he can fix that, that's sapping all of his power. He, he can't be a powerful player playing the way he does right now. And so if he can fix that, then we might see that power rusher that you saw when he was at TCU. There's no guarantee that he's going to fix that, but considering the amount of time that he's missed so far, I think that you can hold out a little hope that he'll get the, 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 the footwork and the technique down to, to flash the power he had. Because while he wasn't athletic – And he didn't show athleticism in TCU. He was like, tough to handle. Um, He made splash plays. He was, uh, you know, a big, mean, uh, strong dude and all that's gone right now, which is surprising.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's let's turn our attention to this Arizona game quickly and then we'll wrap. So uh, do any of you do any of you expect the Seahawks to lose this game? Speak up if you do. No, nope. Nathan. Nope.
0: Actually. So, what? Actually, if Pete Carroll coaches like he did this last Sunday, they could.
2: Do we know if Carroll? I'm, I'm not. I'm not kidding
1: though. Like, week by this game. Well, if Pete that? Carroll, if Pete Carroll is Pete Carroll this week, you're saying that they could lose.
0: <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> I mean, tricky tricky last sunday was not a typical pete carroll day that was exceptionally bad
1: yeah. carson, if if michael dixon punts like a grade schooler they might lose as well
0: carson can't fumble i'm, I'm tired of carson fumbling
1: <laughs> i mean does anybody here think that they should bench carson
0: be if like, don't, Penny don't, don't, is healthy,
1: second guesser. If you think they should bench Carson, I want to hear it right now.
0: Yes, if Penny is healthy. Yes, absolutely. Send a message. He's been on complete liability. I love Chris Carson. He's better than Rashad Penny. But if Rashad Penny is healthy, he hasn't had fumbling issues. Secure ball security is paramount, especially for this offense. Send a
2: message thing like that. Like Carson doesn't know not to fumble.
0: Like. He's got to freaking earn his job back, man. Like I've lost trust in him. Pete Carroll should be losing trust in him. Evan.
1: Like, Evan. What? I agree. I agree with
3: you. <laughs> wow. Oh, really? Boomers unite! Hell yeah! <laughs> no, but
1: a like, boomer in this. <laughs> I'm <laughs> well, not. We're a boomer. the boomers. We're the boomers. I'm a Gen- I'm a Gen Xer. So, um, I yeah I I think I think that if Penny was healthy and I don't think he's gonna I don't think they're gonna play him this week he's got a hamstring issue they got a game Thursday I think they're gonna save him for Thursday but if I I think that three fumbles in three weeks and tech you know say it's four fumbles in three weeks and you got a first round pick who has Penny's done well when he's had the ball this year I think that it is justified to say Penny takes the rock and Carson's got to earn his spot back. I don't think it's, I don't think you like send a message, but I do think that the same way Tedrick like needed to sit, like I, I, I love Chris Carson and I think he's much better than Rashad Penny. Um, I don't know how you can just keep handing the ball to a guy that has almost lost three games. How, how does Carson earn it back?
2: Let's say you go that route. He doesn't.
1: Penny Penny either – what happens is either Penny takes the rock and looks great, or Penny doesn't – like the offense just looks a lot worse with Penny, and they're like, okay, now we're going to go back to Carson because the team's better off with us taking that risk. But if you if you let a guy – I mean, the guy's just going to keep fumbling, and there's no chance for a guy that's playing pretty well to step forward. And that's what happens in sports. Like Somebody creates an opening, somebody else steps into it, and either they take advantage of the opportunity or not. And if Penny does, more power to him. And if he doesn't, then Carson takes it back.
0: Nathan, you were talking earlier complaining about always compete. This is a prime example. Ball security is paramount for this team. Chris Carson has ball security issues right now. Reverse the roles. Give Penny 70% of carries. Give. I'm not saying bench Carson. Give Carson like 15 to 20% of the carries keep him active rotationally in the game as a change of pace back and see if he can regain his trust. But I think well, in the
2: let's say you, you give Penny 70% of the carries and the offense isn't as good, but it doesn't like fall off a cliff or anything. <laughs> when does Carson get to take his 70? When does Carson come back and take the 70%?
0: When they have sufficient confidence that he's not going to fumble the ball. I want to see. Is if that? You gave- when
2: is that? How do they measure that?
0: I'd like to see more than, you know, I don't know. How many How many fumbles does he have in 45 carries? He has three fumbles. Yeah. I'd like to see 60, 75 carries without a fumble. I'd like to see ball security.
2: So you're going to go six games, six plus yeah. games, six to eight games without, with Carson getting yeah. just like 30. Yeah. And then what? Like,
1: Like what is Nathan? Let let us let's turn this around for a second. Do running backs matter? Not particularly. Do running backs matter when they're fumbling? Yeah, fumbles matter. So 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 then why would you argue? Why wouldn't you just say like yeah, send a guy in there, another guy in there. It doesn't matter who he is as long as he's a running back, and you know if he's not fumbling, then he's better than the guy that is.
2: Because, well, I I think that. Running backs don't particularly matter. I think Oh, always... really? No, I mean there's ways to differentiate <laughs> running backs. Sure. The, the, my my thing here is that what's going to happen is Penny's going to take over, and he's not as good of a player. And but running backs don't particularly matter, and so the offense isn't going to be significantly worse. And so you're going to run out there with a the worse player for a while. And for what?
0: I like, mean, Are we that. sure he's worse?
2: Pretty sure. Pretty sure we haven't seen Penny
0: with a full load though
2: because he's bad because he hasn't earned no
0: no (laughs) because Chris Carson has been historically good
2: we've seen Penny looking like he's running with a load in his pants I've seen that a few (laughs) times like no but like you know in the ways that we can measure running backs like which ones are better than other ones like Carson ranks really well yeah and so Carson's like I don't know if he's a meaningfully better player because again running backs don't really matter but like I don't think there's much question that he is a better player than Penny. And I don't know what, like, if it's the send a message thing, that's just stupid because like Carson gets it. I'm sure no one is angrier right now than Chris Carson. Yeah. But like, if you're actually going to bench him because you think he has a problem, then like there needs to be like some approach and some like measurable. No, but that's, that's that's the
1: thing. I don't believe in the whole sending the message thing, but yeah. the, way, the way I would handle this, you know, if, if I was in uh, the leadership position is I would give the next Player in the, the situation, the opportunity to step forward. Carson would take the snaps that Penny's taking. Penny's getting plenty of reps. So it's not like Carson's benched, but he then gets a the chance to build his confidence with fewer reps, uh, less chances to fumble. And then he gets to his 40 or 50 carries without a fumble. And you're ready to, for him to reascend to the top spot. But I think just continuing to run him out there, knowing that, you know, he's had this issue and you've had. You're going to have every player, like anytime he's they see him, they're going to just be keyed in on it more than ever. You know, I, I don't even I don't know if you're really setting him up for success. He's going to have to be abnormally good at holding onto the ball for the next few games um, to not have this happen again. Um, or he's going to start changing the way he runs. He's going to start going down earlier to avoid, you know, uh, a big punch out. And...
0: Or, or he could run out of bounds like Christine Michael and then get himself cut a year later.
1: These are, these are things that could happen. Um, All right, look, well, everyone thinks they're going to win this game, that we should win this game. Uh, folks talk about the stadium being a house of horrors for the Seahawks because of the Super Bowl that they lost down there, because of Sherman's injury and uh, Cam's injury and Earl's injury. And I get all that, but the Seahawks haven't lost there for like six years. Uh, they've tied that 6 6 game that was brutal, but they haven't lost in six years Um, and the the Cardinals are one of the worst teams in football, even though they're dangerous. So, you know, I guess the last question I have for the three of you, and then we'll wrap, let's assume for a second, the Seahawks win big. Let me put it a different way. What do you need to see this weekend to erase the memory of the saints game and feel good about this team again? And I want to start with you, Evan.
0: 20 plus point win. I want to see them dominantly win a game. The Seahawks are far better than the Cardinals top down full through the entire roster. I don't think there's a position group that is better on the Cardinals than is on the Seahawks. I I stumbled at running back for a second, but I think the combination of Carson and Penny is better than David Johnson. Um, I want to see a dominant performance. Let's see a Raiders like game from 2018. Nathan um
2: uh yeah i mean if i don't need like super dominant if they can just play a clean game get through it without too many bonehead, boneheaded things or major mistakes or anything like that um you know keep up the quick passing game that they've had going so far uh i mean i i think really you can look at some of the stuff that they did in that on offense in that new orleans game and it's encouraging and so in some ways, they just kind of got to keep the offensive part of it rolling and then clean up the rest. And I think that you will end up with one of those Raiders' heads performance. So just just play a clean game, look prepared, you know, come out maybe a little angry. That'd be kind of cool. Um, but I think that if 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 this is another, like, Steelers-type game, except for maybe, you know, again, wipe out the the fumbles that made it closer than it needed to be, um, then I'm going to be really happy. And I think that, you know, you're 3-1 at that point, and you've got a lot to look forward to. Yeah.
3: yeah, I agree with Nathan. and I think they need to play a cleaner game. They've, they've looked good in, at times on defense. The first half last week was pretty good for the most part. Um, but I, I want to see them ca- kind of play all three phases well, the punting, the special teams coverage. But I want to see the pass rush get going. I know uh, we talked a lot about Ansa. He had a tough game. He was going up against Ryan Ramchick, one of the better right tackles in the league. I guy the Seahawks uh, famously passed on. For Malik McDowell um but I'd like to Arizona is one of the worst pass protecting lines in the NFL we're gonna see our old buddy Sweezy they got some injuries they're not good up there if they can't get going against this team unless they're getting the ball at a crazy speed that would be pretty alarming to me because I just want to see things they can build on I know they were 2-0 and but that first game there that was a tough watch I know Russell was able to do some nice things at the end but I want to just see things that they can build on and reasons to be optimistic because last week they just looked awful at times other than the second half surge in the passing game they just looked bad too much and made too many stupid mistakes and yeah I don't care really how much they went by or if it's comfortable and I just want to see things that I can believe in and things that I believe is transferable for the rest of the season
1: yeah and I think those are all great points across the board for you guys and and odd, uh, uh, an odd one, but I mean, it's definitely not the top one, but I'd like to see Michael Dixon has just been not good. Like he just hasn't been that good and he hasn't been that good all the way through preseason. And we kind of thought, Oh, maybe he was like doing things intentionally so they could grade players on punt coverage or trying some weird things out, but he has not been good. He had one game changing kick in Pittsburgh. That was a really big deal. It was like a 60 yard kick He kicked out of bounds. Flip the field help them get a turnover didn't help them but when they got a turnover they were set up to score like that's his one big moment but he's he's not been good there. the Seahawks the are like 29th in the nfl and net punt uh right now net punting um they were like number one last year so uh for much of the season so i really would like to see him, like he he is a mistake racer when they have a bad series and they do something stupid and he can kick it 60 yards and pin them back or pin a team back inside the 10 makes the job a lot easier for the defense, which then makes the job easier for the offense. And they're just not getting that advantage. And it should be a freaking simple advantage. It's one guy. He has to kick a freaking ball. He's supposed to be good at it. So like do it. I, I would like to see that happen. Um, and then certainly pass rush. I mean, uh, Russell seems to always play well in Arizona. So I expect to see a big game from him. Um, but yeah, the pass rush has been absent and and clowney has looked not just, you know, just not impactful, to be quite honest. After the first 20 plays of his Seahawks career where he looked like a major difference maker, he's just not been. So I'm hoping that that we see a little bit from Ansa and and Clowney that give us reason to be hopeful there. So all right, guys, we're going to wrap there. We took a long time tonight. Appreciate it. Congratulations to Jeff on your big victory in, in softball. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. And, uh, and uh, we will be back with you guys for a post-game show this Sunday. Uh, Evan won't be able to join, so it may be, you know, a little more sane, um, but maybe a little less uh, uh, entertaining, who knows, um, than normal. But we'll be back um, Sunday after the game. And until then, please join over on patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Uh, give us a follow on, on uh, Twitter, on uh, at Real Hawk Talk, on YouTube, subscribe. Uh, give, us, give us reviews. Give us goodness. We'd really appreciate it. And uh, uh, take care. Enjoy the week. And go Hawks.